He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Ooh, baby. That was that was a solid reading, Andrew. You're welcome. Um what well, what verse was that? That's John 336. And mm. that's in the NASB 1995 edition. Can't oh. forget the 1995 edition. That's right. Yeah. Well, welcome to part two of episode eleven. Um hopefully this is there's no part three. We're gonna we're gonna end it right here succinctly. Um yes. so we kind of got well, just a little backstroke. Essentially, we kind of got cut off in our um in our conversation. Some forces were working against us to keep us from completing the pod, so we're back to finish this and um kind of left up on a weird at a weird time. So, we're just going to kind of pick up where we were. If you haven't listened to part 1, then you should do that because Part one is before part two. I don't. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> okay, makes sense. So just to kind of settle us in and kind of bring us back to the conversation. Um, while Andrew and Xavier were just touching on a lot of great things, this really personally connected with kind of me as I look back at my past, um, kind of before I became a Christian and stuff. And um, I haven't lived at a camp my whole life. But I have for maybe like eight eight years now, eight eight or nine years. I've been at camp over an entire entire summers, um, and I love this place. But um, Andrew, when you were talking about a place that doesn't, some um, I don't want to say this wrong, a place that that overemphasizes mercy. That that is what like personally that's what I thought of because. Um, I basically, I've, 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 you know, I'd hear this, the gospel in these different forms, but it was never like what you just read where, you know, there was no wrath. There was no judgment. It was only this accepting love of God. And that's not a, that's not bad in itself, Mm -hmm. in and of itself, Mm -hmm. but because intellect, like it just didn't make sense. It didn't it wasn't radical in any way to me because it didn't really tell me that I needed to change. It just told me that I was loved. Mm-hmm. And I already felt, I already feel, felt that way. My, my parents are very loving and like, I, I feel as if I've suffered some things, some, you know, I've had some wrestling with God's God in my past, but there was nothing as far as me and my sin. And so it was an environment where, sin wasn't talked about in, or wasn't talked about in this grievous sense of, you know, invoking the wrath and the judgment of God. And so it wasn't until I was, I was at camp and I was weed whipping and listening to uh, this great podcast that I love very much. So I'll shout it out. Um, the Just Thinking podcast. Oh man, love that one. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That, it's, <laughs> I second it's, that. Dude, it's super fire. So I was listening to that, and they were talking, it was episode, I think, 99, talking about the assurance of salvation, mm-hmm. and I didn't have that. And they they talked clearly about sin and how I had wronged God, and I needed to seek him. And and that, I mean, that, that changed, that changed my, I mean, that changed my life. That's when I was, 
I would say I was saved. And um, it marked this really transformational point for me. Praise God, man. So I just, I think that maybe gets us towards that conversation of what are some of the, the failings of overemphasizing either justice or mercy. But in this case, I think it's very common, especially in the church at large or Bethel, these kind of, it's hard to talk about justice in, in some real succinct ways and not go so far. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have thoughts. So actually, um, so when I was growing up, I had the reverse problem where mm. I overemphasized God's justice. Um, <laughs> but it was a sense, it was a twisted justice for me. Mm. And growing up, I didn't have an understanding of the mercy because I I had this view of I was just a Christian to go to heaven. And mm. if I did enough Christian things and did enough Christian works, then that would make me go to heaven. Yeah. Because I, I had this belief that like in God's justice, it's like a scale it's like a balance. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even understand his justice fully mm-hmm. either, but I had no idea about his mercy. And because if you put everything on justice, you forget why the gospel message is good news in the first place. And you don't realize that you need his mercy. And the reason why it's mercy is because you're a sinner. It's mercy mm-hmm. because you are condemned by the justice. Amen. Amen. No, totally. I think that that's the... It's, that's the balance. That's why you have to strike the balance. You can't have one without the other to experience that fully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Oh my gosh. You were shot. Just dry in Ethan here. just got shot. Shoot. Oh. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll just, I, I just want to, while I'm dying, just open it up to Andrew. What do you think? just are some failings in larger Christian, you know, circles and kind of what, what you see overemphasizing of either of the, either mercy or justice kind of leading into, would you say? Right. I think the easiest example to point to is the overemphasis of mercy. Like you experienced Ethan, because, you know, judgment is really (laughs) hard to talk about for a lot of people because it offends, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, judgment can be really uh, almost righteous feeling when you talk about it because you feel like you're doing you know, the service of God by talking about judgment, judgment, judgment. And I think there's a carnal feeling with both overemphases. Um, but just at a cultural level, the overemphasis of mercy and grace is huge. And people talk about sin and they might talk about deliverance from stuff or they might talk about salvation. But if you look at what people are being saved from, mm. that's what you were saying, how you didn't know that you had to be saved from your sins. Like you'll see people get up and tell their testimony about how Jesus delivered them from loneliness or uh, depression. And Jesus can do all those things. He can do that. And he has the power to do that. But that's not what the gospel promises. Mm -hmm. And people talk about how Jesus made their life better in very temporal senses. Um, But I just, I like, I like what the apostle Paul says. Um, I believe this is 1 Timothy 1.15. I didn't write down the reference, but I think it's 1 Timothy 1.15. It says, 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Like, look at what he says. He says, for this reason I found mercy, because he was the foremost of all sinners. And you cannot have mercy by definition without a deficit of morality. If you think about it in a sense that, think about the Trinity before God created the earth, right? God had, it was, it was the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, and they were all existing eternally. Mm-hmm. God was absolutely merciful. He was absolutely gracious. But you think about, he can't display his mercy, if you think about it, because Jesus or the Spirit would never do anything where God could show his mercy to them. So it's by necessity that our moral failings give God the opportunity to display his mercy and his glory in us so that we would be, so that he would be glorified in our salvation. Otherwise, it becomes a very man-centered thing where God is the one restoring our lives and at the end of the day, we're the ones who get the glory. Amen. We we talked about uh, at my church today. It's Sunday on when we're recording this, and we talked about how <clears throat> we've been going through Daniel. We just finished Daniel's pretty hype, Daniel chapter twelve today. But one of the things my pastor talked about was even the angels desire to look upon this gospel that that men have received because there's nothing, there's nothing like it in their, you know, in their realm. There's there. Oh, I'm so dying. It's this, it completely transcends, you know, there's something completely different and set apart about how Christ came in as a man and bestowed mercy and justice I'm probably allergic to something in here, bro. That's why I think it is. Oh no. <laughs> Anyways, all this foam. But um I think that this kind of makes me think of and this is something we've talked we've talked about off of off of the podcast before is the idea of divine simplicity and how and I think we we've been talking around it. We've been talking around how you can't have this without the other. You can't have justice without mercy. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> can't have mercy without justice. And how this meets, this dot meets in God. This is who God is. And I think that's kind of worth maybe laying out if you want, if one of you guys wants to do that while I cough. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. Uh, So divine simplicity (laughs) is basically uh, that God is a simple being as opposed to a complex being, where a complex being exists in parts. Like you could say, you could point to a human being as a complex being. Like you could say, Ethan here is existing in his eyes and his beard and mustache and his arm. You could point to all those things as separate parts. But when it comes to God, you can't point to certain parts of God. Mm. Basically, God is one. 
you can't have certain separations or divisions in God because he is all in all, basically. Mm-hmm. His justice interacts with his mercy to a, to a degree where you can't separate them. It's, it's so interesting to think about that, too, because, like, God is so unfathomably awesome that to us, that seems really complex. And then trying to understand the Trinity, to us, that seems, like, super complex. But because of this notion of divine simplicity, of where he is one, it makes it super simple, and I think simple in the fact that we know who our God is, and we know what we can rely on, because God is unchangeable. Right. And I think I think his unchangeable nature is what helps make all this simplicity too. Like I think unchange unchangeability goes with oneness. So all these all these attributes that he has, his mercy and his justice, um the father and the spirit and the son, like all these all these attributes can be explained in his unchangeable nature that mm-hmm. he was like this before before the world mm-hmm. in genesis in joshua like in zechariah <laughs> it's like he was like this all the time mm. well and i would point to i would point to this is something and I, I was in a gap year program and something we would do before class is re, re, recite the shema in, which we learned in hebrew which is pretty sick which goes you know shema israel adonai eloheinu adonai echad Hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And Amen. and that is that's you know, this isn't just a like a, I don't know, like conservative evangelical like like thought that we've put on God. Mm-hmm. This is who God has revealed himself from from the beginning and from to his people. He's like, This is what you should say about me. And you should love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And um, I think there's something really beautiful about that. I mean, that's just the simplicity of, of what we're, I mean, we're talking about these big things and these complex things and it, 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 you know, interacts with us in a real, in a real way. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, that God is God, he is who he is. I am who I am, he mm-hmm. says. And, and I think, Personally, there's something you know comforting about that, right? Because I think even if we mess him up, like we say, or you know, we forget this part of God, you know, so, you know, some church forgets this part of God. That doesn't actually change God, and I think that's obviously a, fa- a failing. It's a failing on their part, and that's also sad because you've essentially taken who God is and you've neglected part of him well and neglecting that part of him like you said god doesn't change because of your teaching something different which actually means that when you misunderstand god you're not like what are you worshiping now actually what i never got into this one of the reasons i wanted to do a podcast on the attributes of god was because ethan and i were in this class that talked about um buddhism Mm -hmm. and and in that class, we were talking about these two different types of, of like, Buddhist thought. Uh, I believe it was Nichiren. Mm-hmm. And he was like, actually, I don't know if it's Nichiren. Um, Thank you. I think it was. 
No one, no one else will know. No one else will know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about all our Buddhist listeners? <coughs> facts, yeah, you facts. Know. You got me there. Um, you got me there. But uh, there were two types of thought, and there was this one which thought that Amida Buddha, um, you can just like do works to get grace by Amida Buddha, and that's how you make it to the pure land, which is like Buddhist heaven, heaven basically. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then this other person was like, no. Nah, it's Amida Buddha who gives you grace. And I was like, this sounds like super familiar to like, mm. like some he, sort he's of literally like, like free the, will the wording argument. is The wording is like, you you don't have to do anything. It is, he, he gives you the grace. That's he, what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like Amida Buddha sovereign. So I was thinking about this and I was like, like this, this idea is so similar to what we have in Christianity. So then what, What's what makes the religions different? And it's the God. It's the God that we worship. We do not worship Amida, Amida Buddha. Right. No. We worship our God in heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And I think it's a, it's important. It's important to know who God is and who he has revealed himself to be. And in all of our sin and failings to seek after, true, you know, to truly seek after the, tr- the one and only true God. Right. So... We've kind of t- we talked about this in the first episode. We talked about how, um, like in our experience, Bethel is is a place that you know really emphasizes emphasizes mer- overemphasizes the mercy of God and kind of leaves out this this justice of God. I don't know if it would be helpful maybe to talk about some more places that we see that are like that, or maybe like outside of Bethel. Yeah, or outside of Bethel or within the church. Because I don't know if we talked about that. Does that? I mean, I th- just ways that like justice and mercy, without overemphasizing either, can be represented in the church. Mm. I think mm-hmm. justice, because Christians should be striving for it as well as mercy, is uh, church discipline. Yeah. And so, if like if a brother is stumbling, uh, it's like bring him before another one, right? And then if he's still doing the same sin. So you should, yeah, you should, so you should go, it says in Matthew. It's in Matthew. I don't remember what chapter. I think it's, it's 20 something. So you, you should go, you should bring, you should go before this brother. You should, you should confront them. And if they still haven't changed, then you bring them between uh, uh, two, two or three others and confront them again. And if for a third time they continue, they're continuing in this, then you should bring them before, um, I don't know if it says a group. It, it doesn't say, like, bring them before the church, but... but it's Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. Matthew 18. Okay. 15 through 20. So, yeah. yeah but, like, so this, so this idea of church discipline, it's for, like, those believers who who are, like, deeply entrenched in sin. Unrepentant sin. And, and unrep- yeah, unrepentant sin. And it's it's loving for the church leaders to go and call them out on it. Because if their brother is stumbling... Is it merciful to let them keep stumbling? Mm. No. And so by enacting justice in the sense of church discipline, you are actually being merciful in helping your brother mm. rise back up and repent. Now, that to be said, um, there are cases of where church discipline is not becomes unjust, and it becomes an overemphasis 
on justice, and then it becomes about power and human power and control within the church, which I think we've seen throughout history a, a few times. Mm-hmm. Facts. Could you think of an example? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment on that. No, that's very true. And I would, I think also, that this made me think, I've, I think I've said this on the pod at some point before, just the way that this, this, the way that this is skewed in society is because we've actually redefined what love is. Mm, yeah. And love is acceptance. Love is love. Yeah. Love is just acceptance. But but I think if we're talking about the attribute when we're talking about the attributes of God here, I mean it's super important to to note, which is I think people might hear some stuff that we say, like, oh you can't you know, you can't forget about justice, wrath and we're talking about wrath, we're talking about whatever to hear the affirmation that it is 100% true that God is love. God is love. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that he accepts you how you are. That would not be a loving God. And we know that's, I mean, we know that's true. We know that God wants better for us. It's very, the most, you know, minute sense. But then, but he doesn't just, yeah, he doesn't just accept you how you are. He enters into your life. He transforms your heart. He makes you love good things, things that are actually good. And so in society, we we don't seek that out for those around us. We don't love our neighbor in that way. That's that's encroaching on them. That's, you know, we shouldn't love them as, you know, there's this whole thing about, it, it's not about, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, but it's more so, it's, um, my, my dad has told me about this, that he's heard, heard about this, the platinum rule instead of the golden rule, that instead of loving your neighbor as you're, you're treating someone how you want to be treated, you actually treat someone how they want to be treated, mm. which is folly. It's foolishness. Right. And, and so God doesn't just accept you how he is. Love just isn't, isn't just this blind acceptance. It actually, it, it calls you to be better and to change and to grow. I mean, if you can do that, God is. Yeah. And so perfect. Here's some verses on like God's love. Uh, Lamentations three twenty two through twenty four. Whoa, is this an Old Testament passage? What? Are you wow. serious? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. And this is interesting because, um, Lamentations. We talked about this on the, on the first part. Uh, this whole book is Jeremiah lamenting to the Lord, crying out with all these bad things that are happening. And so horrible things are happening right now, and he's crying out for help. And he's saying, God, you're still just in doing, like, all these things. You're still right for punishing this evil, for being just. And then he goes on to say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Mm. Right. Even though all this terrible stuff is happening. Right. This reminds me of, like, um, do you know that story right at the beginning of 1 Samuel? where Samuel's laying down in the temple with Eli, and Samuel hears God call his name like three times. And he's like, hello? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, Eli, you called me? He's like, no, that wasn't me. And um, but basically God reveals to Samuel that he's about to judge the house of Eli and like because Eli had been overlooking sin in his house. And 
So he told him that, and then the next day Eli comes ask, comes and asks him, he's like, what did God tell you? And Eli, or sorry, Samuel told Eli everything that God told him, that he was going to judge his house. And Eli's response is so strange. He just says, it's from the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Mm. He doesn't try to say, what? That's not, you know, that's not fair. You know, I'm a, I'm a priest. I, you know, he says, no, the Lord will do, he will do justice. Mm. Let him do whatever seems good to him. That's faith. That's some, that's some intense faith, yeah. honestly. Um, wow, that, yeah, that hit me. Well, okay, so very common, very common in in our culture to, you know, talk about this radical kind of overemphasis of mercy and acceptance. But I think um, just to dwell on it a little that, I think we're seeing some, some changes in, we have seen some changes in our society. And I, w- I would go, um, you know, so far as to say that in a lot of ways as a society, we've really pushed on the importance of justice, mm-hmm. like not a, not some sort of, you know, giving grace, but, but of what we think is right and just and, that is, I mean, there and there's a lot of tension in you know, in the United States around some of that stuff as far as conversations about George Floyd and justice for him, you know, justice for George Floyd. There's signs like that everywhere. The thing is, too, though, about our justice and our push for justice is that we always we don't always know what's right, especially for our country, whose moral. Si- our country's moral system is based around what everyone says is right. Right. What your neighbors say is right, that is what is just. So they have essentially no moral code because their moral code is just whatever everyone else thinks. Whereas, I mean, for Christians, we have the Bible, but we're still human and we still are subject to sin, which means there is one perfect judge. Mm. Right. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know who that could be. Yeah. It's probably Amida Buddha, bro. No, it's not. It's <laughs> definitely not. It's not Amida Buddha. <laughs> no, yeah. you're exactly right. God God is the source of those things. And we should seek him for that. But I think you're you're capturing exactly it because it's not about it's what we what we feel. What we feel is right based on the circumstance. And a lot of times people are making judgment calls not knowing the full story on a lot of these things when um I want to get his name wrong. Um, I believe it was Jacob Blake who people were up in arms about. There was um, rioting in um, uh, Wisconsin over this, and then come to find out this guy was not a stand-up fella, and they, the re- there was a reason why the cops were called on him and et cetera. But so quickly, society and the news jumped on and said, Oh, this is this is unjust. But it's interesting. I think there, I think there's maybe a a kernel to point out is that even in our sin and failings, like we know what is right and what is like we know that there's a right and there's a wrong, and we feel strongly. We feel strongly convicted about that, even if we're incorrect right. about how we implement those things and etc. It's interesting to me. Um, I worked at 
the same camp that I have issues with. And you should probably have issues with all, all th- a lot of things that you love, you know. Um, but I worked there, and we played this game. It was basically like, it's like, like the board game Clue. It's basically like that, where there's a bunch of characters. And I, essentially what it was is one of us stole the candy. You need to go around, solve these riddles, figure out who did it. Ethan stole the cookie from the cookie What are you talking jar? about? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what basically what happened was... I didn't know it was me, but it was me. I was Mr. Green. And we're talking about, like, little kids, like, first through third grade. And basically, we had somebody. I had, because I'm kind of gluttonous, I had actual candy wrappers in my backpack, coincidentally. And so (laughs) while I was standing up there in front of all the kids, they grabbed these candy wrappers and pulled them out. It was like, look, he stole the candy. (laughs) And those kids... Wanted me to be punished, like, ruthlessly. And they would come up to me and be, Mr. Green, I know what you did. I know that you blah, blah, blah. And by the end of the, what was like three days they were there because they're so little, the last day we do, uh, you know, throw, pe- throw staff members in the lake. And, and I walked out, and, and they obviously someone had to push me in. And so I was dressed as Mr. Green, and they were, <laughs> Mr. Green. Mr. They pushed me in and they were walking up to me and I'm like dripping wet, you know, and they're like, you deserve, you deserve this for what you did. Wow. And like, (laughs) I mean, they're cute little kids, so it's not like they're, you know, super, you know, spiteful or whatever. But I think it goes to show even those kids, they knew that I had stolen and that stealing is wrong Mm. and that I deserve to be punished for it. And I mean, I'm sure they've been told that by their parents. No. But, but the law is written on our hearts. Like, it's just that, I just think that that, to, you know, kind of bring that, what I was, we were kind of saying about society, just that if you, you know what is right and wrong, and right. it's it's on your heart, and so, I mean, that's why so many people think the Ten Commandments are a good thing. So many people would say that's not a, th- those are, you know, I just live my life by the Ten Commandments, which, you know, Rich it's not going to save you, but. You know, it's not bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe maybe we can talk about more application, more realistic, not just the... So, we, you know, we've talked about God as we've talked about how we see this in, you know, institutions that we live in. Mm-hmm. What is... What is... How do we call change to these things? How do we... As individuals, what what you know? What are practical things that we can do in our lives that reflect who God is in His fullness in these ways? And it's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it starts with the gospel. Like, you can't have justice without God. Like, for instance, people. People love the effects that God can give them. I think I might be totally getting this wrong, but I think Aquinas talks quite a bit about this. Maybe it's Augustine. Can't remember. I always get those two mixed up. But people want justice, but they don't want the judge. They want heaven without the king of heaven. Not saying anything new here, by the way. This has been said for years. People want all these things that God can give them, but they just don't want God. Like, for example, I am totally confident 
that George Floyd will get justice. Mm. And George Floyd's killer will also get justice. If you think about it in a very materialistic sense, someone who just commits suicide got away with it. Like Hitler, he got away with it. He committed suicide, and there's nothing after that. Never served his time. Right, right. He was never punished temporally for what he did. But if we know that there is a judge who will judge everyone according to his deeds, that's Romans 2, we know that God will give every single person justice. And one interesting thing, um, this was actually, I heard this at church today. Uh, we were reading through one Psalm 139, and it's about how God knows all of us, even when we're knit before the womb. And then it goes on to talk mm-hmm. about, like it talks about all this thing about knowing God, and it goes on to say about all this stuff like the psalmist hates in, in the world, and so all that justice and stuff. And so uh, my pastor was saying, basically, like, we do, research, uh, we do receive what, what we are due. And when in Romans it's talking about that. But as we're walking, God looks down upon us. And instead of the sin that he would normally see, he sees the blood of the lamb. Amen. And we're covered by that. Yeah. And so remembering the gospel, I mean, that's, that's perfect for this because it's like I know what I'm supposed to receive, but when God looks at me, he doesn't see me as the sinner that he has to punish now. Right. Mm. He right. sees He's, me. Yeah. yeah he, see, he sees me as the one who is forgiven. I've like, they've been covered. They've been covered now. And I, that is, it's just, that's what's so amazing about Jesus dying on the cross. Like he received the judgment for all of our sins. Right. Every single one. He, every, all the pain that we would have endured in hell, all the everlasting pain, he bore it all on the cross. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done something painful or like, like broken a bone or. I know you have. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or like burned your hand or something. Yeah. It's more, it's more unfathomably painful than that. And he willingly bore it. For us. Amen. I, th- Amen. I think that you will maybe have some just some closing thoughts here. And I just, for my for my part, I just want to say, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that what I love is that the things that people will just say are the Sunday school answers, they are the answers. And <laughs> right. that's really just he continues to hit me like I go to church and I hear the same old dusty gospel that's been preached for thousands of years. And and it brings new life in my soul. It's still good news. Amen. Exactly. And and I would and I would just add one more thing to what you guys are saying is the answer is the gospel. Right. And so what do we do is we live out the gospel and we tell people the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking back to, well, to me and Xavier's, our podcast on the church and how we had talked about the Great Commission and still true and it's still this this call on us and it and it is it is because of who God is and what we've talked about today that the way that we show 
the justice and the mercy of God is by telling people about what he did. It's not just who he is, but it's how he acted in the world. And so this is why Jesus said, and I think this first sentence is, is missed very often, just read over very quickly, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in earth, on heaven and earth. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And, the you know, just the promises of God that he's going to be with us and who he is and what he's done. I think that's exactly what we need to do is talk about it more and live in a way that doesn't just emphasize part of who God is, but fully who God is. Right. And I think the gospel is something that's really oftentimes misunderstood and like exactly what was happening in Jeremiah's day where they were saying peace, peace, where there is no peace, mm-hmm. where they're saying things that sound good, that sound like good news, mm-hmm. but in reality they're really hollow and empty. So I, I was wondering, does anyone, one of you two wanted to say, what is the gospel? Xavier? What is the gospel? Um... It's that we were sinners who were once so lost. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. But God sent his son, his one and only son, on this earth to die in our place, to bear the wrath that we would have received. And because of that, because we are now covered, we can now enter into a relationship with Jesus, with God. Because of that, we can now be a part of his kingdom. I think that's a good place to leave it. Do you guys have any other thoughts? The gospel Amen. is sufficient. Amen. And, and his grace is sufficient today and tomorrow and the next day. So, yeah, with that, I think... I hope this encourages us and all those who listen just to go out and to remember who God is, what he's done, and to live that out in a real way. All right. Thank you guys for listening to Anti-Folly. This is episode 11, part two. And it's done.